She's Julie Roxanne. And he's Alistair. And And this this is Far Out, a podcast about stepping off the beaten path and learning to live from our center. Is it going to be just me rambling about things that I care about, like, excitedly, like a chipmunk? And then Alistair's just like, mm-hmm, yeah. You're worried your inner lameness is going to be figured <laughs> out by everyone else. I understand. I understand. I don't know. All, all the things that, that you feel important are important to share, but it was also like a whirlwind of gestures over here. <laughs> like, you can see, but there's all sorts of gestures happening. And all sorts of facial expressions and like this energy in your eyes, you know, like almost a little manic or crazy. Like, yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> all that's also going on. Yeah. But it's like you're seeing it like code or something. Yes. You know, where yeah, it's, yeah, like, it's like the Matrix. I can see yeah, it like yeah, the Kuma yeah, exactly. It's like different. you can you move it around like the architect. You know, and you're like, okay, well, and you can taste it before it's even there. You're like, oh, it's gonna be so good. And, you know? Well, hello, beautiful people, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Far Out Podcast. It's great to have you here. You're in for a treat. Today. We are talking about Julie Roxanne's genius. Oh, yes, we are. You guessed it right. We're talking about food. Oh, man. I, this conversation could easily have been twice as long. Yeah, maybe uh, we'll have to come back for an encore at some point. It's just, it's, 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 this is my spiritual practice. This literally is my spiritual practice. So it's, uh, it's endless. The deeper I, the deeper I go, the deeper it gets. Yeah. So we it, go in a lot of different directions, but they all start from the same source. Just food. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. Hello, far out people. Hello, friends. Good to have you here. Good to have you here. I'm wearing a very fluffy, cozy, sherpa type of thing, and it's really nice to be here. We're in fall. It's, yeah, definitely we're, the fall. Yeah. We're there. <laughs> we've we've uh, it's it's now it's warmed up again it's warmed up again like, a little bit a little bit we're I think the rain is it's re- not just freezing re- it's not freezing the yeah. ground was frozen yesterday when I went outside and I've never lived in a place that cold mm. I think so one thing that's been really beautiful is taking walks out in the forest here um, because the the days are short and they're very crisp lately like we've had a dry spell and very clear because uh, it's so cold yeah and. Uh, and just seeing the way the light splinters through the forest and the trees, like it's like a cathedral. It's incredible the way the light, just all the fragments of light. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really love it. It's yeah. it's gorgeous. I love it too. It's really nice that we can just, we're in the forest and we just walk. Yeah. And then it's, I can yeah. walk five minutes and then go down, you know, to a pretty wild creek where there's no signs of life. Yeah. Well, no signs of Civilization, I should say. Yeah, yeah. Human life. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we're going to talk about food today. Oh, man. It's always, I know those episodes, I know people like these episodes. I just like, I have an interesting, like, internal resistance, or maybe it's fear, to doing episodes that are more led by me. 
Because I'm always like, is Alistair really going to care? Is it going to be just me rambling about things that I care about, like excitedly, like a chipmunk? And yeah. then Alistair's just like, mm-hmm, yeah. You're worried your inner lameness is going to be figured out <laughs> by everyone else. I understand. I understand. It's not lame at all. I think people are going <laughs> to listen to this and be like, wow, she's thought about food so much. Yeah, wow, I can actually relate with this. I- <laughs> <laughs> It's not this intellectual <laughs> Alistair thing. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Um, Where do you want to start with food? I, I thought, so I think this was actually my idea. It was your idea. Yeah. Um, I, so that makes me more comfortable that maybe you you <laughs> will thanks, actually yeah. enjoy this. Uh, the idea man over here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but because you, you I, I thought everyone's always fascinated when you talk about food. And everyone is always delighted when they get to eat your food. Yes. And, um, best, and the best thing is eating my food with me. Yeah. If yeah, you actually then, care about food, because then I paint you, a the, thing. You, you can paint a picture about it. They can ask you how you make it and they get to learn something. Um, or most of the time they just get to learn that I have no idea how to explain it. And you should stop asking me how <laughs> I made my food. Someone yeah. recently, oh man, I felt I was really like tired too. So like my brain was a lot duller, more dull. And uh, on a retreat, someone asked me, like, how do you make the chicken like that so that it's not, like, overcooked? And the only answer that I could conjure up in my mind was, like, just don't overcook the chicken. <laughs> just, just just don't overcook it. I don't know how to answer this question. But then I figured out how to answer the question. I guess, I like, the, the follow-up was, like, well, how do you do it that it then ends up overcooked? Because then I could, like, walk from walk from there. Yeah, we, I realized I wanted to talk about this more too, because I think a couple of episodes ago, we did like a update of us going to different farms to pick up different uh, things that we have on rotation in our diet. And I was just like, man, I could go everywhere with this. I could, I could talk for hours and uh, I just wanted to, I don't know, dive into the pool and see where, see where I take this conversation. I think I, it's been particularly on my mind this year my relationship to food. And it's so interesting because right off the bat, just saying my relationship to food, like it's not just, I feel like there's like multiple layers to, to just that there's my actual, like everyday relationship to food, like what I eat, how I eat and how it feels in my body and like how I relate to the food that I'm eating. Then there's the, like kind of the, the, work aspect it's like my relationship to food is also tainted by the fact that i've well tainted colored uh yeah yeah it's i i often forget that tainted has a bad connotation in this Mm. language because in french it doesn't so Mm. like it i don't i i forget that but it's colored by the fact that i've that that's been my most tangible career over the last decade of my life like I've been working in food and that's like the biggest thread too that's like the most uh, continuous work that I've done and uh, and it's which makes you I mean you're always useful because people always need to eat food and they want to eat good food yeah it was it's it's been interesting this year too of realizing like that's that's a skill that people are willing to uh, hire for for good money and that they're kind of desperate to find it's it's hard to find good, efficient, responsive, and flexible with, like, the kind of menus that they can provide. And I'm... This is another thing about my relationship with food is that I've literally... Except carnivore, I've... I think I ate all of the diets that exist. 
out there. Yes, you can cater to almost any diet. You're also very entrepreneurially minded, which I think is very, very mm -hmm. helpful. You're pretty... You're pretty uh, independent in the kitchen. Yes, yes. I, I, to a fault sometimes. Yeah. It's really hard for me to uh, delegate. Get a little bossy in the kitchen. That's no, but that's just part of how it is. Like you can't. Like I, I. That's where I. <laughs> that's how I learned. Like I actually, I think that there's a there, there's a necessary bossiness. What I've been working on recently. Okay, let me. I'm just gonna backtrack and just say the the other kind of level of my relationship with food is. I think there's like a. I don't know. This is where it gets into the psycho, spiritual, emotional part and like the, the, the reflections on nourishment in general. I'm sure I had, there's many other layers to what my relationship with food even means, but I just. Well, you also have a relation. You, you're, you're developing more of a relationship with the source ingredients. Yes. Right. Like, yes. And so that, that's pretty spiritual. Yeah. That feels, like that where, feels. Where does the sustenance come from and what does it mean to be in relationship with those? I don't know, beings. I mean, yeah, beings. Regardless of what it is, they're they're beings. Um, kind of carrots are alive. Yeah, until so it can, you it can get it can get pretty deep. Ground. Yeah, definitely. And and oh, man. it's probably my favorite like deep top. Like it's probably the my favorite place to just drop in. I I'm I've made the joke. It's not really a joke. I, I I'm I'm half serious about it about making it happen. I just recently have not had the bandwidth, but I am hoping that one day I can create like a almost like a day-long workshop or a two-day workshop where I we can like mix or or explore the consciousness expanding potentialities of food and possibilities of food and just like explore taste and like ingredient, like how we interact with the ingredients and what it creates feeling wise in our bodies, um, and like really connect to the food. Yesterday, I'm currently uh, leading the Wild Woman Within our program with Kelly, our circle of women over uh, eight weeks. And yesterday, I guided a like hour long body scan meditation that was just really intent on creating relaxation and softening the tension in the body. And it was really effective. Uh, people really enjoyed it. And we had a break right after. And one of the women on the call was like, I went, I, I went outside during our break and my husband was cooking steak. I had a piece of, of the steak. I don't think I've ever tasted food that well. Mm. And I was like, you, this is the most, ah, this is the best thing you could have ever said to me. This is why we embody, this is, this is why we're in the body is to be able to taste food. I mean, that's an interesting point right there because there's been many times where you and I are eating the same thing and we're having very different experiences. Well, I'm not having much of an experience. <laughs> you are having a very rich and colorful experience. Like I'm just putting something in my mouth, chewing it enough and swallowing it. Like, <laughs> I'm not being very mindful about it. And yeah. I think you 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 have like a, not only a palate, but like there's a mindfulness. It's like, oh, taste it when it's at the front of your mouth here or when mm -hmm. the, like, where, I don't know, when the acid hits the roof of your mouth or whatever. Like all these things that are going on that for me is just like, I don't know, a blob that's kind of lumped together that I only have like dim awareness mm. of, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It it's it saddens me that this is that, but no, but I understand. I think that's that's the experience. But, but I for a also just find like like even when you guide me through it, I just don't have as much interest interest no. or excitement for it as you do. It's like okay, cool, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> uh, 
but uh, it doesn't fascinate me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's and I think it's fine. It's great that we both are not. I, I always love when uh, couples are like foodies together. But I actually I don't care that you're not as much. I can. T I feel like you are at a point where you can at least enjoy when I make something really good or when we have something yeah. really good. And you remember that's important when you remember the meals that like were special to me, that says that you've, you've crossed over into a different way of caring for food. Yeah. Cause you think uh, you, you often can recount your like past through meals you've had. Yes. I can't do this. Oh my God. <laughs> I, yeah, I can. I really can. It's, you know, <clears throat> like give us a meal from your past. <sighs> a meal from my past. That. Okay. That there's a few that came to mind that I'm going to share. I'm going to share this one. I was in the mountains in the center of France, which are like one of the least populated areas of France. It's more cows than humans, but it's really well known for, well, first of all, th the people from that region, a lot of them moved to Paris and opened bistros. So I was actually working in the bistro of a family that was originating from there. And I ended up going on holidays with one of the waiters and just like going to visit Auvergne, and, uh, which is the name of the place. And specifically, Auvergne is like the larger region, but like the county is like Cantal, which is actually the name of the county and also the name of the cheese that they make there. Mm -hmm. And see, I can't just tell you the, the meal. I have to no. paint the picture. It's like, a, it's like a whole experience. And so him and I traveled down and we actually hitchhiked all the way down and we went and visited his grandmother. And just like... Salt of the earth, country woman, no nonsense type of woman who just like, you know, th there's a there's a way that things are done. Like there's a stability. There's like those hips have carried babies and the, those babies have gone on to have their own babies. And she's like the matriarch, mm -hmm. you know, and we went there and she made us the most one of the most traditional things that they eat out there. Like if you. Oh my There's just side notes. There's a there's a TV program in France. I've been missing French TV a lot recently. I think I'm I need to go back to France. I'm starting to really miss it. But um, they are like this like itinerant itinerant like they move around like they it's like a mini like packaged studio and they just set up shop in these like. They stay for a week in like a small village that's r like an important center of culinary experience or just like traditions. Like these is these are places where people still make wooden clogs and you know like yeah. that kind of experience. And so they go and they interview like a lot of the keepers of the wisdom of the regional wisdom and then they eat the traditional food that's there and it's made in the in the set that's like actually outside too like in in the place in like the center place of the village so i don't know that i loved to watch that show because then you can see like the the very vibrant uh personality of each tribe almost mm -hmm. like anyways so We went to Cantal and the grandma welcomes us and she had made us truffade. And truffade, even though the name suggests that there might be truffles, there is none. I don't know why they call it truffade. It's very thinly sliced potatoes with, I think there might be like a bit of garlic in there, but that's really not the main star of the show. You fry the potatoes in butter for a long time until they're like just melt in your mouth and they're more butter than actual potatoes. And almost at the end of the cooking process, you chop up fresh. It's like the early stages of the Cantal, which is like called Tom Fresh. And it's like this, it's, it's definitely 
there's not a lot of taste. It's like pretty young cheese, but it's it's not uh, creamy. It's like it's it's hard already. It just doesn't have a rind. And you just cut it up. It kind of like cheese curds a little bit, like maybe that kind of experience. I don't know. I don't think I've ever had cheese curds. And then you cut it up and you uh, layer it in the skillet and just like dump it on the potatoes. And then you close the lid and you just let the cheese melt and mix with the potatoes and the little bit of garlic and salt and and butter, obviously. And then... And then that kind of cheese is very well known because it strings like it can string for like a yard or two. Mm. It's like you can really like raise your entire arm and it's just a string of cheese from the skillet to your arm. And uh, she served us that. And it was like in this little cabin, like grandma's cabin with the, the doilies everywhere you know like that doilies is that the word like those little like crocheted Mm -hmm. uh things that grandmothers have on top of their tvs Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. and uh tchotchkes everywhere obviously and just like overlooking rolling hills rolling hills of of just pastures and oh my god i can't I can't describe the experience of having that meal, but I think I've done enough of a good job of telling you how, of setting the settings and the actual what we ate so that you can understand what that would be like. I feel like probably the listener gets a sense of your passion for it through this (laughs) because you probably caught a lot from like the tone and like the vocabulary used, which I always find is fairly impressive. And like the, I don't know, all all the things that, that you feel important are important to share, but it was also like a whirlwind of gestures over here. <laughs> like you can see, but there's all sorts of gestures happening and all sorts of facial expressions and like this energy in your eyes, you know, like almost a little manic or crazy. Like, yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> all that's also going on. Yeah. Which is why I think you're so uh, seductive when you like, especially if you're making the food and it's delicious and you start talking about food, like everyone's eyes just get big and... <laughs> They shut up and they're like <laughs> I don't I, I kinda wanna touch on the manic part because I think that this is something I've I've realized in more recent years. I think through my journey with food with my direct like relationship with food of you know, going through, you know, raw vegan and then vegan and then like so many restrictions at different times. I've I've had ongoing chronic abdominal pain, digestive issues for years at this point, if not my whole life. I'm sure I've, I think I had periods in my life where I was numbed, numbed out enough that I didn't or I had been in pain so long that I didn't even realize that there was another way. But like, that's pretty much been a lot of my experience. It feels like a cruel curse for someone who loves food so much. But I think that it's intertwined. I yeah. think that's what I'm trying to get at is like, that's that's where it gets really spiritual and trippy for me and probably kind of hard to verbalize. But uh, the manic attitude, I mean, I had eating disorders when I was a teenager. Mm. Like, and uh, they showed up like very intense periods of restriction where I would eat, I would not really eat. Um, and I would like compose intelligent schemes to pretend that, I eat, that I'd eaten so that my family wouldn't, realize and then like two days in I would just like crack and then I would eat nonstop for two hours and like I can still remember some of the foods that I used to have because it was very chosen it wasn't like I'm gonna eat 
random things. There was a, there was a bit of randomness in the binging, but there was like I I I I I created things that I really wanted to eat. I, I didn't. Yeah, it was more sweets and stuff. But would, like, would do you think on. this? So so I'm curious to explore more how this re- was. What your relationship to food was at that time was that like was that just. Would you say that some of those eating disorders centered more around food or was it just something you did mm. as a result of, of other things? Does that, I don't even know. Yeah, if no, I, I, no I, I think you're making sense. I think my understanding of it is that um, it, it stemmed from like profound self-hatred, like profound self-hatred and like particularly of my belly. Of like, and I I now understand that it wasn't necessarily just a physical thing. It was just like I think that it was like things that were stored in my belly, like energies and emotions, and and this is where you have all uh, your your chronic pain as well. Yeah, so it's just not, it's just and it, and it was like yeah, it's 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 like probably the part of my body that I have the most complex relationship with, and it's definitely at the best it's ever been these days, but. You know, I've never really felt like I had a flat belly. Like I, I, that was always my that was my physical insecurity. Was like if girls had flat mm-hmm. bellies, like I, I I always felt like I had just a mildly pregnant belly, um, which I kind of do, and that's just kind of my body type. And and I think that there's all, it was also made worse by constant inflammation, and I was pretty like bloated and and, and irritated most of the time. But to get back to your question, I think that it it stemmed from profound self-hatred. And I just remember that it was punishment, like the not feeding myself was punishment. And then the having to eat because I was so starved was a lack of discipline. And then and then the self self-hatred would be even worse. It was just like a crazy cycle. So did you pick to punish yourself with food because that was something you loved? Yeah, I would I, I I think I think that's probably what it was. Like and it was something that I had control over. It was something that I could punish myself or reward myself with. Like there the that was very much my and another reason I think why that was is because <clears throat> that was a time that was also around the time or not too long after my mom was working really long hours and I had already been like, I've been baking since for as long as I can remember, like that, that I was the kid that baked and that the rest of the kids of the neighborhood could, would come in and just ask what cake was on the menu today. And it, so that, that was already there. But then the like savory food came when my mom worked really long hours and then she would get home at like 7 PM and she would need an hour to like maybe, you know, tend to the needs of the house. And and so we probably wouldn't eat until like 8.30 or 9. And I had school the next day. And we, both me and my brother had school the next day. And so I just got into the routine of like making dinners. So I was really like in charge of food in a lot of ways. Like I had a lot of control over the food in the house. It's kind of interesting because it's a place where you probably found independence and a certain sense of security. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From an early age. It was, it, it, it's still, I think it, I think that that pattern has definitely played out over my entire relationship to food uh, to this day. 
And I think that this is this is why I wanted to talk about this because because this is why I think my relationships with food is so rich and complex and deep is because there is also a lot of suffering and a lot of like pain and and love hate and it's not just been rosy for all the time it's not just been like oh I love food and food loves me back it's actually been like a really <laughs> really difficult journey and it really is fascinating to me and I can only kind of look at it in hindsight but it's fascinating to me that that I chose that I might as my profession like that that this is where I ended up going as a career and then you throw that into the mix and there's an entire other layer of experience of relating with food because when you are a cook at a restaurant Food is by far not the most important aspect of your job. No. It's really not. It's like, it's actually kind of the thing that is the most, the eat comes the easiest. You're, the, you're in a service-based industry. Yeah. I would imagine it's the service. Yes, yes. And it's the, 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 the speed of it. It's the, it's also, there's a lot of like, you're working with perishable products and that's where all of the money comes and goes. And so mm. you have to be efficient in how you use that. Like That's always boggled my mind. And you're so good at that. Mm. Like uh, you do all the shopping in our household, which like, I don't know. If I were to do it, it would just, it would be pathetic. <laughs> well, I remember what it used to be like when I did it. It was pathetic. But but you, your your ability to manage inventory and then also managing perishables, like, mm-hmm. uh, it's, to me, it's such a, it's so, it's such a headache. It's so overwhelming. And you're yeah. incredibly efficient with it. Not only on a, like, not only on managing the perishables and then making food out of that, but also, like, on a cost basis. Mm. It's it's pretty impressive. It's one of the things I I I I love the most. It's also the part that's going to lead me clo- the, to burnout. If if like that's I think one of the things that happened. I just remember like the last job that I had in Paris before I burnt out and, and burnt the bridges and left everything behind. I just remember one day being like sitting, and I was working at a restaurant that was just starting out. And so I had the privilege of having worked in a restaurant that was always busy. And that comes with with its own set of challenges, right? But then I ended up working in a restaurant that was pretty much empty all the time. And that is so hard to it's so hard to figure out the inventory and the and and what you do and how much you order. Because you don't want to throw food away, but food has an expiration date. And you also don't want to, you don't want to buy uh, low grade food because to save money, because then when people come in, you want them to have a good experience so that they come back. It was like, it was such a terrible headache to navigate. That restaurant didn't end up, like the guy ended up selling it. And I think it did well with the next owner's. I I actually I've been meaning to go back there whenever I go back to Paris and uh I just remember staring at the walk-in cooler like it was like a big big fridge in this case and just like wanting to rip my hair out cuz everything looked like it was going to expire and I was going to need to order more but I knew that it was just money being it was just being flushed down the drain and it was like food that was not eaten and I think this is the other part too is like the it's really it's always been really hard for me to throw food away 
Like, I just, it hurts so much. And I almost never do it. Like, I've, I always, I always manage in our household, I manage to uh, recycle it, freeze it, just save it at the last minute, make sure that the leftovers go eat, like eaten and that we're still, that they're still interesting. But so all that to say that, that probably that was one of the things that has led me to burnout, but it is one of my favorite parts of this, both the work aspect of it and the like household tending of it is just like, how can I be most efficient with cost, with nutrition? Because that's the other piece is I've, I've thought about nutrition a lot. This comes through really close. No, and I think this is, you're preparing food on our retreats. I think this is one of the reasons, um, People aren't just enamored by how it tastes. It tastes really good, but like it's packed with nutrition. Yeah. It's extra like you you really you really focus on nutrition as well, which um and so that combination of taste and like uh high quality food yeah. is is really impressive. And maybe you could talk a little bit more about that side of it for you. <sighs> the nourishment side. Yeah, yeah, the nourishment side. It's it's interesting because so much of the way that I think about this, it, it, I never even really try to explain it. Like I don't, I don't have I think the words, but I think I internally I have this like computer of information about food and nutrition and what flavors pair well with who with which and what. That's why um, you have that big nose of yours. Yes, <laughs> yes. I mean, I think I really like all jokes aside. There's a, there's a, you know, when I was describing the truffade and I was just talking about like the butter melting and the potatoes and the cantal, like the tom fresh being like cut up uh, on top of it and melting. I can, as I'm recounting this, I can taste it. Not so much the actual taste of it. I can feel the texture of it on the roof of my mouth. And I can feel like when I'm talking, like the way that my tongue hits the roof of my mouth, I can just like feel the fat of the butter going on the side of the roof of my mouth and like into my throat. And like the fat of the cheese that is different than the fat of the butter and how they intermingle together. And they seem like one just giant thing of fat, but they're not. They're like very different molecules of fat. And then what I was going to say about this is that the roof of the mouth is what forms the base of the nose. Like the, 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 yeah, the floor of the nose is actually the roof of the mouth. And there's a direct correlation between the two. And I think that it's not, I mean, I, I call myself the nose. You've called me the nose quite a lot. I've had experiences, experiences in ceremony of just thinking about my nose. I, th I think you too, <laughs> where you've had visions and interactions with my nose. I love your nose very much. <laughs> <laughs> I love my nose so much. And I feel like it's so interesting, actually, because a lot of the time when I say this to people who don't know me very well they're like oh no but your nose is really great i'm like yeah my nose is awesome that's what i'm telling you like <laughs> i love that it's or a big I, I think nose. the olfactory sense is the one that's most highly connected to memory mm -hmm, like it, it's mm -hmm. like it can call back like yeah, yeah call back memories most yes and and i have had experiences that was one of the that was a very cool experience that i had last year La last year i was probably at the height of the food restrictions that I've ever 
imposed on myself and and felt like they were called for for my health like my my digestion i was like kind of trying to figure out what worked and what doesn't and i was left with a very small portion of food that actually worked and didn't cause pain it's interesting to restrict because then it's really hard to reintroduce but yeah, it also cause also, uh, it also creates a space of uh, uh for the inflammation to calm down but it's it's well, kind of a, I don't know how I feel about that these days. You, you know, like my perspective on it has definitely changed because I, I would definitely say my, I think a lot of our inclinations is to be restrictive and it are like on, on that, or at least for us, for, for us. Just, yeah, yeah. Just us. But I think there's also a segment of society, right? Not mm-hmm. everyone, but like it w- would incline to restrict, especially if they're, they're having issues it's like, yeah. or there's. There's the feeling that like, oh, it must be something I ate. Like it just must be like kind of a cause effect kind of thing like that. And if I can eliminate what I ate, then it's, then it's going to solve the problem or mm-hmm. whatever. And I've, I've really had that challenged this, this last year with Same. the rash because I've been working with a nutritionist. And actually before I started working with a nutritionist, I went through probably three different diets because I, that was my default assumption. I was like, well, let's figure out what, what's causing this. And I had a, I was like, it's got to be food. Like, mm-hmm. I think it's food. So I did a couple. I did a candida diet and these things. But then I, I went as restrictive as possible, basically. And I was like, I, I, I did a carnivore diet for over a month, maybe a month and a half. Just, and for the first part of it, just meat. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I brought in uh, some dairy and stuff like that. But And that didn't do it either. The nutritionists I work with, they're also pretty like, hey, it's really, it's not diet. Like, it's not, like, being more restrictive is not helpful. There's a lot going on in your gut. There's different, you know, bacteria and different microbes and things. And I think this is also one of the reasons why diet can get so hairy is that, like, everyone's got a different gut disposition. Everyone's got different genes also. and But different things going on in the gut. If you have certain bacteria in there, certain types of food, it might they might react to it or whatever. But it's, it's more about certain – a lot of times it seems to be about gut health. And it's not – you can't just restrict foods to solve that problem. Yeah. It's, it's more complicated than that. You can't actually restore gut health by restricting food endlessly. I think that there are scenarios in which res- in which restricting there's also allergies and things like that and I, I'm not I don't think we're experts but I think in 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 my experience too I've come to this conclusion of like I've heard it described by a friend who says like when there's a issue, there's a health issue that like centers around the gut, I take an offensive approach. Like I am, I I don't do the defensive thing because then it can swing the other way, and I kind of like that. And I think it's true. It's felt true for me, and it's feel it's felt true that when I'm in an inflamed state, I can eat even the most basic foods that I know work for me, and I will still be in a reactive like pain mode. Yeah, and depending on what's going on there, there might be some things you do need to avoid for for a little while. But yeah. like you said, it's not it's probably not going to solve the issue. It may just a- avoid symptoms. Yeah, and we're so <laughs> it's so easy. I think for me to like if I notice I stop eating something and my system does better. Like, well, I just shouldn't eat that thing. Yeah. Right. But yeah. there, there's, it's more complex than that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know how much more I could, I can honestly say about nutrition because so much of my understanding of nutrition has been because of really drawn out, painful trial, trial and error on myself. Uh, 
And because I've had so many different diets that I've I've had to figure out how to at least function on on most of them. So, uh, but this makes you very versatile because you can people could you, like literally you could play a game where it's like, okay, you can't use that ingredient or that ingredient. Yeah. Go. That's my. And most favorite. people will be like, "Fuck you! You just told me I can't use butter. I'm screwed." Uh, yeah. And for you, it's like, "All right, cool. Then I'm going to do this and this and this." Like you could take out any combination of ingredients, and you can still make a kick-ass meal. Yeah. Most people cannot do that. That's that's literally one of my favorite things. Like that's what makes it that it's like uh it's like the constraints make the creativity more more interesting, you know. And like I recently, but it's like you're seeing it like code or something. Yes. You know. Where yeah, it's, yeah like, it's like the Matrix. I can see yeah, it like yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. It's like you can you move it around like the architect, <laughs> you know, and you're like, okay, well, and you can taste it before it's even there. You're like, oh. It's gonna be so good, and, you know. I've seen you when you get into those modes. It's 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 funny, and you uh, you know actually one of my favorite is like I like to like kind of watch you when you're at the farmers market, like and you're at maybe at the vegetables or whatever, and like you go up and and it's like I don't know you have this you kind of approach it quiet like quietly and a little reserved, and you almost like look at it like. Through the corner of your eye, and then you might touch it, and like you might hold it, and like I can see the gears going in your brain, and like you're you're very quiet and pensive, and then you might put it down, and then you might like go over here, kind of look at this. You're totally in your own world, so- and then you come back to this, and you're like, okay, I need ten of those, <laughs> you know. But like, it's it's like you get as quiet as a mouse, and then you're just thinking, 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 and it's- I can see everything going, and I'm like, this. <laughs> There's genius happening right now, and you wouldn't even know it. <laughs> I really like going to the market with you for that reason, because because then you reflect that back to me. It's it's interesting because so much of what goes on, I I, I have no uh, conscious access to. I can tell you generally what I think is going on, but like on the second by second, like millisecond by millisecond, I don't know. But I think that there's. It takes a lot of energy. Like it definitely does. It's it's work. It even for the for our household. It's like because I'm trying to be, I'm running our kitchen like I would a professional kitchen. Like there's a there's less planning ahead, but I, like the stocking and the making sure that we have all the things that we might need. I I I I love going shopping, but I don't want to go shopping every two days. I like staying home. Like I like the. I like doing big shops that are like that take a lot of energy, but then I'm I'm good for a long time. And uh, yeah, so there's like there's definitely there's elements of like, what can I use this with? Like what what meals can I do? Is that going to pair well with the rotation? And then obviously, if I'm already considering buying it, it's usually that I've I've accepted the quality is is to my standards. So like I we eat mostly organic or at least like in the at the farmer's market what I like is that people are not certified organic they're just like pesticide free and they're not paying for that label which makes everything more expensive so the produce is actually really avail- really accessible and and yeah just co- cost effective and so there's that and then there's the how long will it keep like I don't want to buy more and then it will it will go out because I know I know how much we eat I know how uh, how the types of meal that we eat throughout the day, like we pretty much eat the same breakfast every day. So just like I can kind of like fit it all into a program in my mind that then decides should I buy these beets or not. And 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 I do. And beets are great because they keep for very long. We still have them from our last uh, 
farmer's market. You know, you know what I do when I go to a farmer's market or the grocery store? <laughs> I just end up gravitating to the beer aisle <laughs> and looking at beer. I don't even drink beer anymore. But I always go. All the time. I always go. All the time. Sometimes I'm just, he has the fucking cart. <laughs> and then I turn around to put something in the cart and he's not there anymore. And then I know he's in the wine and beer section. Yeah. That's yeah. it. And that, that's as far as I get. <laughs> Once in a blue moon, I'll actually like buy like a little bit of cider. <laughs> But most of the time I'm just looking at what's there. Well, when you're alone, you, 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 you can feed yourself. I feel yeah, like yeah. these days you've I, I, remembered that. Yeah, I, I I can definitely feed myself. I I actually think I I can I can do basic cooking and I can do that fairly well because mm -hmm. we have good high quality ingredients and that's what I get. Mm -hmm. And and then I can just do fairly basic things that are totally fine for me and I can eat that days in a row yeah. with a couple substitutions or whatever. It doesn't really bother me. I eat much better when you're around, but I don't honestly care enough to try to recreate that mm -hmm. for myself i would eat much more much simpler on my own which would get boring over time yeah i feel like that's that people people often think that i love to cook because i love to cook for others or you know i feel like that's a pretty common thing like some people are really good cooks but they don't actually love to eat themselves they just like to feed people I like to cook because I like to eat. <laughs> That's and probably then, the best kind of cook, though. I I think so. I agree. I like to cook because I like to eat, and then and then what I do like is to share that love of eating with other people. Like I love that. Well, it's something we can all relate to. It's something we all do. It's something we all can derive joy out of, right? It's something we all have in common. Mm -hmm. So it's it's really a place where you can connect with anybody. Is around the you know breaking bread around the table. Yeah. Yeah, I I think that uh, I'm trying to I'm trying there. I feel like there's so much that I want to talk about on this topic. I, I I'm also realizing I started telling a story about the nose and I didn't finish it. So I'm just going to do that real quick. And then I'm going to talk about nourishment and primordial primordial nourishment. The story I was going to tell about the nose, just to wrap up the whole like roof of the mouth nose connection, is that um, last year I visited some friends and they had received a bunch of tomatoes from someone's land as it was like the last harvest of the tomatoes. And so they had a lot of tomatoes and they tried to make us tomato soup. And I could tell that no one in the crew was particularly savvy in the cooking area. They could do it. They understand the basic, like if I put tomatoes and broth and cream, that somehow it's going to make a, a, a soup. But they, I could tell that it wasn't their like genius. And I was just hanging out there and I obviously I can, I could not eat tomatoes or cream or any of the thing that they had put in there. But I could tell by the way that they were relating to the pot. And I could tell by the way the pot energy the energy emanating from the pot was that the the soup was not okay that they that that somehow it was just not matching and they were kind of struggling and and they didn't know like they were like acquaintances they were people i just met and they didn't know that i was a chef and and i was like you guys want me to try and solve this or like you know fix it and they were like do you think you can I'm like i'm a professional chef uh i think i can and i can without tasting it and I went ob above the, the pot and I just like smelt it for a long time. 
not that long. I just I gave it a few deep whiffs, and it's like it's like the the pot and what was in the pot is talking to me. It's like actually telling me what it needs. It's I've had that experience too recently where I was caramelizing some onions and then the onions told me that they wanted sugar. Like it's, I don't say this very often because I might sound a little crazy, but I'm like genuinely in relationship with the food as it's being made. And so as I sniffed that, that poor soup, man, I was just like, the tomatoes were like, they're buttering sucks. This is really not good. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I can feel that. That's not good. And then I just did, I felt like ratatouille. I was just like, and then just like, yeah. you know, adding everything to the pot, changing, whisking. The, and then I had them taste it again. They were like, oh my God, how did you do this? This is so good. I was like, yeah, I know. And I didn't even need to eat it to, to get there. And it's like, so the nose takes even more, you know, dimension when I, when I say that. I, I, uh. Some of the things that are reflected to me in retreats a lot is that I am not shy of like I I I really toot my own horn around food and yeah, yeah I I you do own it. I I really do and sometimes I sometimes I sh- I I fuck up like I'm not I don't uh, I don't make great food all the time there are situations where I just don't pay close enough attention or and usually that's it if I don't pay close, close enough attention if my attention is is somewhere else then I might not make the best food ever and sometimes I just fuck up but I also am not gonna uh, waste food so if I've fucked up and it's still edible we're still gonna eat it like that's just how it is and that's part of how you learn too is like oh yeah okay it took me a long time to figure out how to, I have different pots and different quantities of rice I always felt like I was kind of fucking up the rice and then I learned so <sighs> The other, yeah, the thing about primordial nourishment, I love what you said about we can all connect around food because it's, we all eat, like that's part of, there's, there's two things that come to mind when I think about that. One is like food is, food is literally the thing that's keeping us alive. Like after breath and water, this is the next thing you need is, is, you know, fuel and sustenance and it's one of the first, it's, it's literally one of the first experiences, like after taking a breath, when we are born, if we're born in conditions that allow, the next thing we do is we start suckling on our mom's breasts. Like, this is literally one of the first, and it's like a primor, like the baby will crawl up to the boob, it knows exactly what to do. Like that's, that imprinted in our DNA, that this is the way to live. And to me, that's super connected. And there's there's so much about the way that we relate to food that pertains to the way that we first related to that. Like, how were we born? And was like, what did did we have our mother's colostrum? Did we not? Did we were we breastfed? Were we not? Like, there's so much correlation. And I've spent a lot of time thinking about that for myself. But I feel like I find it to be very true for most people that I meet that there's a direct correlation. So yeah, primordial nourishment, you, you can, and it's, it's one of the, like, if you ever have the experience of sort of maybe like a, a, um, entheogenic facilitated experience or even like a, a hypnosis, like regression where you can go back to those feelings of drinking milk from your mother's breasts 
it's like orgasmic. It's it's like it's like a place where pleasure, like the the body is just filled with pleasure. It's like pure light of beingness. Like the the um, and it makes sense because you would want to you would want there to be a mechanism in your body that keeps you coming so that you keep eating and growing and feeding yourself. Um, yeah, I, <laughs> I lost I lost my train of thought in the in the flowing milk of my mother's bos- bosom. Um, but no, but I feel like people don't think about that very often, or that it's not, and also that it's not something that we allow ourselves to think about because somehow accepting the fact that as tiny humans there was insane pleasure in drinking milk from my mother's breast is like weird or kind of deviant to think about. But mm-hmm. it's like the as an infant, this, this, there's, I don't know, it, for me, that removes the, the deviancy, uh, the, the pos- Yeah, well, there's, not, there's no sex drive at that point that's online. Yeah, not really. I yeah. mean, there's, there's, a, there's a life drive, yeah. which you can then argue is different right. than sex drive. But I don't know, there's, a, there's an urge to live, and it's, it's about continuing to procure food mm. at all costs. Mm. I think the other thing on that note is that we live in a very interesting world that we are now focusing our energy on procuring money so we can then buy food but in a very like in in more in cultures where that's not like in in ancient cultures in hunter gatherers or farmers or things like that like all of your energy is expended to getting food you don't have the middle money piece and I I think about that a lot recently, particularly I've thought about that a lot about like having been raised in a way where my food came from a supermarket and how that, how that affects our, our psyches basically. Like I don't actually, like I don't care. I'm not mad that my parents didn't have a cow or a goat or whatever, but it's, it is really interesting to think that that's a fairly recent experience for most people to to just it, it, it separates right like yeah when you buy uh, corn right like you're no longer you're no you're no longer seeing the plant you're mm-hmm. no longer having a relationship with the soil that it grew out of and and that that whole area right because the corn is not a product just of of that of the corn stock it's mm-hmm. the product of the whole environment that the corn grows in same with the pig right like. We can't, we don't even, no, I, none of us probably go and imagine an actual pig when we pick up bacon. Yeah. We pay, we get bacon. Yeah. That's something different than pig. Yeah. Right? Like, that, I mean, I feel like that. that's how my mind works. Mm-hmm. It's like, I'm not thinking that that came from a pig or anything about the life of the pig. I'm just picking up bacon. Yeah. That's its own concept. And, and like, and again, like the, the pig had a, had a life and, and there was, that environment, like that, that whole the environment produced the pig. Mm-hmm. So I feel like we've just kind of we've cut it off at the supermarket. We can't see beyond that wall anymore, and we have to trust someone else is looking out for our best interest. But we know, we know that's not the case because they're for-profit companies, mm-hmm. and these are massive supply chains that are bringing foods from all over the world and most definitely don't have a relationship. They're outsourcing that relationship mm-hmm. to, you know, hopefully the farmers. That, the, so, like, it, it, it is, yes, maybe it's necessary for, 
I mean, it definitely is necessary at this point mm-hmm. for, to sustain the populations we have, but it, it also it disconnects us and puts a wall between our relationship, how that, because what I'm sensing from you in a lot of this is like, it's like food is this area that like, you can go on so many different tangents and so many different directions mm-hmm. and it can go so deep. It can, it helps you relate with your world in all these different ways. Right. And it's, it's really cool to see that through the lens of food. Cause for me, that's not that's not where that that portal is mm-hmm. for me. But it's like, wow, it's so interconnected and wow, it can go so deep and you follow that route back and you get to your mother's breast, mm-hmm. right? And 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 you can go the interconnectedness of that. And I think, you know, I I think that's something some of us are at least waking up to we don't we can't really do that when we get our food from the supermarket. Like yeah. we've lost that connection, that interconnectedness. It's that relationship suffers. It's, it's impoverished. Yeah. And and I think, you know, something I think of about a lot is, you know, we're, we're out here in the forest in this beautiful piece of wilderness that has not been logged. And we go walk in forest not very far away that's second, second growth instead mm-hmm. of old growth, which means that it's been cut down and, and it's reforested or at yeah. some point. It's not as diverse Right. And and one of the reasons why there's there's a lot less going on there. It has its own beauty in some ways, but but it's definitely not as diverse. And and if you think about like wilderness as unconscious, right, like in some ways, like I think this is some of the reasons why I really love being in the wilderness, because I love exploring the unconscious or like that boundary Mm -hmm. between what's making the unconscious conscious. Mm -hmm. Like. This is part of the reason why I like psychedelics so much is like these are different ba- places where I can like walk out to that edge and explore, explore that. And the wilderness is one of them. It is in some ways, right, unconscious mm-hmm. right? in the way we have our consciousness, at least. Right. And that's what I'm talking about here. And I wonder, you know, and I'm definitely not the first person to wonder this. But it's not a new idea, but it's one that definitely I spend a lot of time with is like. We don't. I don't think we realize to the degree we're impoverishing our imagination when we when we lose these places mm. when, when we don't when we don't have them when when you have second growth forest and think that's the oldest forest you know yeah, yeah. like when you're not around like where we are now it's like this is it's like a, it's almost, it could be sci-fi mm-hmm. you know like if you really like look at different levels it's crazy what's yeah. going on there and just imagine if like we were just in second growth forest like. What we draw from our environment, our environments, like just like you're saying, you know, the onions speak to you. Mm-hmm. I be- I totally can understand. I-, I believe that to some degree. It's like the environment speaks to us, to us, and uh, the I think the how colorful and how rich our imagination can be is a product of our environment. Mm-hmm. You can't really separate those out. Yeah. Right? Right? And when the environment is impoverished, our imaginations are going to reflect that impoverishment. And vice versa, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And and I think this is pro- this is probably also true for food sources and food, right? Like these are also things that kind of sustain our psyche in certain ways. Mm-hmm. And when they're impoverished, as we're seeing, like just look around in the U.S., right? We become impoverished mm-hmm. in different ways, and and that cycle continues. And yeah. but it can also go the other way as well. So I don't know. I, I think about that a lot. About yeah. like, are we really thinking? Because that forces you to think generations 
down yeah. the road because like if you still have some memory of it it's not going to be yeah your your imagination will be impacted by that it'll be impoverished but it's really like the next generation and the next generation who don't even have a memory of it yeah that's when it really there's going to be a real big impact yeah i also something that as you were describing that kind of disconnection thanks i, I like i like that you made the parallel with the wild and i feel like the wild is Definitely your portal of exploration. One of your portals of yeah. like spiritual One exploration. Of my yeah. But I think like this, this when we see bacon, we don't see a pig. I have a feeling that this is what, this is part of what is fueling the. Like, what are Triscuits? <laughs> oh, God. Or Cheez Its. No, you know, it's like. That's not, I don't even, that, that, that doesn't even register as food to me. Like, I don't yeah. even, that, that's not even. The middle aisles of the supermarket are generally not food, in my opinion. I mean, that's not true. I go, I, I mean, you know, I go buy rice and stuff like that. Those are in the middle aisles. But no, but it's I think that what you're describing, though, is because I've been particularly thinking about farming, homesteading and, and being more involved in the life cycle of my food, whether it's like vegetables or meat i actually i've been interested in uh raising animal and i've been interesting in butchering for a really long time like the the butcher's job uh in the restaurant that i used to work at we would get like really big cuts of meat and and then i've been interested in like raising animal and and killing animals to feed myself ever since i made the transition back from veganism because i think that This is kind of where I was going with this. I think that the the disconnection from the meat that we eat and the animal that they come from is what is creating such a fertile ground for ideologies like veganism to pop up and to make a lot of sense because it's like, oh man, I I'm not realizing that I'm eating a sentient being and I don't know what life that sentient being had when it was alive and then I'm eating it that's fucked up. I shouldn't do that. And then you don't. And then you, at least that was my experience. That was my journey of like, well, I don't, this doesn't feel right. And then, and then I had the whole, and I don't think we need animal protein that much as we think. And I don't think, so, so you know, then there was a whole nutrition thing that came later. But for me, the, the initial impulse was like, I don't want to give my money to, to that kind of, to, to animals being raised this way. And interestingly enough, I, I think that I do once in a while these days because having like it's it's important for my health, but it's important for my health to have meat. But I've also spent a lot of time sourcing meat that is being raised differently. And ultimately, I really think that I would like to be able to raise our own animals. And I think that it would be I I really if you haven't heard me talk about this on the podcast before, slow down farmstead. She, her name is Tara Couture, I think, and she has a newsletter and she's also on Instagram and she is incredible and everything that she writes is like a delicacy and I would highly recommend checking her out. This has me thinking about some of the caves in France. Like I'm uh, thinking... We went, uh, we went to visit a few and I can't can remember. Can you just name like the most famous one? It's the... We didn't go to the I know, we didn't go to this Let's one. Let's go. Lasco. Yeah, that's yeah. the most famous one. But, that we okay, so there. but there, but there's um, 
there's a whole string of caves in in that area the, around the Pyrenees, particularly. Mm. That seems a very ancient area of of, of human history, but into France and different places. Um, and these are some of the basically these are the caves with the oldest paintings or or indications of, of well, not indications of human life, but like oldest paintings, I think, or markings on the on the cave. Mm-hmm. And we've gone to a couple of these. Um, not not maybe the most famous one, but so imagining like handprints mm-hmm. on on the cave, like you go down dark into a dark cave, and then in there, there's these ancient handprints that are like twenty five thousand years old or something. Why? Something just impressive like that. And there was one we went to, and I think it is also at, at one of the famous ones. But like a lot of times in these caves, these first paintings, right? The first paintings on on walls that we can find. Are paintings of animals, mm-hmm. right? They're they're of the local the local animals. I I can't remember which ones, but I think it's like, cheese, uh, some sort of bull or yeah, something yeah, like, like that. yeah, some buff- some. I don't think you guys have buffalo over there, but like whatever, yeah, yeah. that kind of thing, right? Steer, I don't know. Oh, whatever. I remember I, the name is Oruk or something. Yeah, like that, that yeah. sounds about right. Yeah. Like you know uh, the Urukau or whatever they're, they're whatever they were hunting back then. Yeah. And it's like I don't know what that means. But what it suggests to me is, like, this is, like, down in a cave. Like, it was striking to me to actually go to to some of these places because you realize, okay, wow, uh, this was clearly, like, a sacred experience, whatever was happening down here. Because you're leaving the light of day and you, you're walking into this subterranean world that is pitch black dark, mm-hmm. right? And you imagine they're probably carrying torches or whatever, there's, there's no way, like, it, it has such a parallel to, like, going into our own unconscious caves and the dark and our own psyches and stuff like this, right? Like, like you go in there and you're like, magic can happen down mm-hmm. here. And and you go far enough in and, like, you're completely cut off from the day world. You're in, in this other underground subterranean world, right? And in there are these paintings of animals that... And hunters hunting the animals, and there's a set, or there's like a spirit. There's I don't know. It was, back then, you wouldn't. There's there's this sacredness to what's being depicted that's that's obvious, and yeah. and and the people and the animals like take on some of the others' traits and stuff like this, and and you can hear it in the Native American stories as well, like hunting and su- surviving off the animals was one of our connections it was a relationship with the sacred yeah and i think i think that it's so much more than food right like when if you have to if you can imagine being a tribe that hunts down an animal yes you feed the 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 tribe but you also gather bones that you can make tools out of, that you can make music with, like that, you know, that you can use in, in, they, they become, they become part of your tools. And then you can, you have the fur, which keeps you and your children warm. Like, how is it not a profoundly sacred but, experience? But, and even like beyond the, the practical applications of all the different aspects of the animal, like if you're going to track down an animal, you have to become that animal. Mm-hmm. You have to take on the, some sort of consciousness of that animal to find that animal. Yeah. Like, like it's almost, it is like, it, 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 
seems to me connected to the notion of a shapeshifter. Mm. A shape, like, you know, like the idea that you can turn in, like that a, a certain shaman or whatever could turn into a different animal. Well, that shaman, maybe that shaman could uh, transform his consciousness into bear consciousness. Or, or it's like, it's, it's something psycho, like there's a psychodynamic aspect to this, that, mm-hmm. that they're able to step into the consciousness or the experience of, of, of different beings. Yeah. I think, I think that the last kind of place I want to take this after just hearing this, I think that my, my food and nourishment and everything that goes along with it, right? Like the, 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 the organizing that has to happen around food for it to actually happen. You have to think ahead of time. You can't, you can't just like be hungry and then decide you're going to fucking hunt a bear. That's not how it works. And you know, like there's a, there's a, a level of planning ahead that like everything orients around it. Like, you know, you, you, you still, you hear it in, in language or say, when people go to work, they're like, Hey, someone's got to bring home the bacon. You know, it's like, these days, I, I genuinely wonder if uh, I would my time would be better spent just raising a pig and making the bacon myself versus buying like working to earn money to then buy the bacon. But that is neither here nor there. These are just like ongoing, you know, life questioning, life trajectory thing. But something else that I know has been incredibly sacred in this process for me, and it, it's only in recent, maybe this year maybe last year that I can kind of look at it this way is the kind of like personality or, or, or the role, the role of the person that tends the hearth, especially in a home. It's like the role of the person that is responsible for nourishing the family is responsible for making sure that the meals are ready at the time that people are going to be hungry is responsible for, for me, I find that this is this is the role that speaks to me the most the most in this lifetime and always has is like this there's a certain uh, no nonsenseness and and an engaged doing. I think that if I would if I were to compare like I think you excel at kind of like cosmic thinking and and I love when you do that and also and i i can follow and i can do that too to some degree but it bores me after a while (laughs) i'm very i need my hands in the dough like i need and like when i i in in october when i went and took that chefing job i was reminded just how much i love the action and the fire and the focus of the kitchen and like the drive of the kitchen and I think uh I think recently is is just been con- like revelation after revelation around this being such a huge aspect of who I am and trying to I don't know I guess contemplate what that means in terms of like the life that I'm leading and and like orienting it's like it's it feels like it's become it's become sort of an orienting thing of being that food keeper the the huntress the and I'm, I even make a difference between the huntress and the hearth tender because usually the hunters they 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 go out they get the meat they prep it and then but yeah exactly for me there's really a strong aspect of like the home and the direct relationship with 
with the food that we're eating. And uh, and I, I have yet to have a garden of my own. I have yet to have animals of my own. But I, it's something that has that is taking more and more space in my life and is is driving me forward. Uh, and it feels like when I think about myself as an elder, that's an exercise that you and I have been doing recently of just like, what kind of elder am I? I'm definitely the elder that has skinned a lot of deer. And I have hooves to prove it. And I have made many different stews for on winter nights with mashed potatoes for my children and my family. And like I've, I've made pickles and I have a pantry that's full of homemade pickles from the abundance of cucumbers that I got in my garden. And like, and I know the land around where I live such that the, the herbs that I put in my teas are from around here. Like there's a, I think that this is one of the ways that I relate is like I, there's something about food around like, in absorbing life from other life. And if like life always needs other life to sustain itself, like that's just a factor. Yeah. Yeah. I I heard it said recently. It's like basically what you just said, but life's a taker. Uh Life is always taking. Yeah. Right. It's actually death. It's actually death that 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 nourishes and gives. Right. And so if you don't allow, if there isn't a, well, there always is, but Death is the part that that gives and allows allows new life. Life is constantly on the take. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've been thinking like lately. I've just been. I, I don't think I've told you this, but I've been. I've been thinking about you as a cook, and I know that that tends to be considered less than a mm. chef. You know, mm. like, but I'm not thinking about it in a practical sense like that. I'm actually thinking more in a spiritual sense because the cook is an alchemist. The cook is um, mixing different ingredients to to bring out their flavors and to bring out their potential mm. and, and, and make like a, a life nourishing dish or whatever mm. the cook is, tr- is transforming. The cook is an alch. Yeah. Like, like I said, he's, they're performing alchemy and I've been starting to like kind of imagine your alchemy, what you do through the lens of, of being a cook and, mm. and, er- and everything you do. And, because I, I can definitely see that. I can see that too. That's kind of cool. Well, thank you for listening. That was fun. That was fun. I, I cried a little bit after we started. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't be a conversation about food with you if you didn't cry a little bit. That's how long. deep it takes me, man. That's how <laughs> deep it takes me. Ah, oh, Wow. Happy holidays, everyone! Like this is in the, we're in the we're in this season of the year, and I just felt called to share that because uh, I think this is coming out like the week after Thanksgiving. So I yeah. hope everything's going great. Just want to let you know that if you want to support this podcast in any way, if uh, in, except like outside of just listening to it, which is already great. Like this is great. You've done your part. Thank you. But if you want to do a little bit more, here are a few things you can you can do. The first is you can leave a review over at Apple Podcasts. The second is you can become a patron over at patreon.com slash the far out couple. And that way you support this podcast monthly. That is extraordinarily helpful for us um, because this podcast, there's, there's expenses to it. Yeah. And the third way is uh, we have a link 
at the show notes, wherever you're listening to this episode, uh, where you can go buy wonderful cacao. If you've listened to this podcast for a while, you know how much we love cacao. We're drinking cacao all the time. This is one of our favorite brands. Uh, comes from a sustainable, um, fair trade kind of source. Um, and we actually have a relationship with the makers of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, you'll get a discount on the cacao, and we'll get a small kickback uh, for sending you there. Everyone wins. Everyone wins. We love you. We're going to let you go now. Toodles. See you next week. Toodles. Toodles.